From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends, and welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you have joined us on another exciting day in the nation's capital where there is much to discuss. Before we get to that conversation, I want to remind you of a couple ways that you can stay in touch with what is happening at Family Research Council and get information when you need it most. If you'd like to receive text updates to your phone on legislative developments that you can help make a difference on, text the word STAND to 67742. You can also download the Stand Firm app. Wherever you get your apps, just type in Stand Firm and you can get the app, which will not only bring legislative and news updates to your phone, but every episode of Washington Watch as well. You can also find the program at TonyPerkins.com anytime and anywhere. Stories we will be covering today on the program The White House had indicated they would not appeal the decision ending the mask mandate for travel, but now they're indicating they might. Why might the White House think it's necessary to reimpose what for many is an unpopular mandate? In addition, Disney went to war with the Florida legislature over a parental rights bill, and now the Florida legislature is looking to revoke a special taxing district that Disney has long benefited from. We'll talk to the sponsor of that legislation from Florida today on the program about what they are considering. In addition, why did Disney pick a fight with the leadership of the state they are headquartered in, and will the, their experience change? what other companies do moving forward. All that conversation later today on the program. Our headlines for today, after failing to conquer Kyiv in the Western Ukraine, Russian forces increased focused, they increased the focus of their assaults on the Donbas region in what appears to be an attempt to create a land corridor from Crimea to Eastern Ukraine. The Russian army also took the notable measure today of test launching an intercontinental ballistic missile, which Russian President Vladimir Putin said should cause anyone threatening his country to, quote, think twice. Now, throughout all this, the Ukrainian army continues to fight on. Joining me now to discuss the war in Ukraine, along with the U.S. domestic issues such as the mask mandate repeal and the crisis at the border, is Representative Pat Fallon. Representative Fallon serves on the Armed Services Committee, the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, and represents the 4th District in Texas. Representative Fallon, good to see you today. Joseph, how are you doing? I am well. Glad to have you. Uh, Let's start in Ukraine. Um, The focus for the Russian military clearly has focused to the Donbass region. Uh, What can you tell us about the developments there? Well, yeah, certainly they failed abject and and miserably uh, trying to take Kyiv. And so what Putin has to do now is he needs some kind of an exit strategy, and he needs to show his upper echelon, Joseph, and his people that the Russians gained something from this, you know, this colossal disaster. And that, as you mentioned just recently, uh, or just a second ago, is probably a, a, creating a land bridge from Mother Russia into the Crimea. And if he can do that, he can kind of, uh, if he would so chose, because really, this is not only an economic siege, it's also a military one in so much as 
Putin doesn't have an inexhaustible uh, amount of material and resources, and he's stretching his uh, capacities very thin. Joseph, and they can't really continue at this pace for much longer. So he needs some kind of a win. And if he can be denied that win by the Ukrainian fighters, it'll be very interesting to see what his next move will be. Now, what in what could be a concerning development, Russia conducted an intercontinental ballistic missile test today. It seemed to be an implied nuclear threat. What do you think the appropriate response to that is? Honestly, right now, just ignore it because he's a bully and he's been everything. Every time something has gone bad, Putin rattles the saber and threatens some kind of a, a, a nuclear a launch or, so, you know, implies, as you said, in hopes the West infers that there is some kind of risk of World War III. Biden himself has fallen into that trap. You do not let the, the Russian dictator, dicta, you know, uh, really, really dictate the terms to the United States or, or NATO, for that matter, or the West. The president of the United States should be, uh, you know, creating policies and uh, making Putin uh, react to our strength and not be afraid of something that really, uh, you know, obviously it's a, a nightmare scenario, but I don't think it's realistic in so much as Putin can't do this himself. And his leadership would have to follow a nuclear order. And I don't believe they will. I think they'll kill him if he orders that a strike like that. And so to that point, you're, you're correct, I think, in that the White House has been concerned about provoking the Russian mm -hmm. government and, and Vladimir Putin uh, with their actions. Do you think the White House's posture is changing as this war moves on, as things continue to go poorly militarily for Russia? Is that emboldening the White House to be um, more, uh, more aggressive in its response? Well, Joseph, I think really, honestly, to, to be very candid with you, I think one of the ways that we have been, that, that Biden has grown a little bit more bold is because he's following the leadership on the Hill, the bipartisan leadership from Democrats and Republicans that have seen this for what it was, which was you know, a, a gross violation of the international norms, international law. This is a criminal act of a nation state. And instead, again, of letting Putin deter the United States, Biden should be deterring Putin. And they, you can see this with these recent arms shipments that have been uh, taking a great toll on the, on the Russian army. And we, it can't be understated, the will, determination, and courage of the Ukrainian fighters has been spectacular. And it's one that's really awe-inspiring. And I think they're just, by and large, they have, they're done with the Russian corruption. They're done with the heavy-handedness. And they want to get them out of their country and then rebuild, move on, and integrate into the West. Now, Ukraine President Zelensky has said that he believes the war would already be over if the Allies had provided more weapons earlier when they had been requested. Here's how the Pentagon responded to that. I understand President Zelensky wants as much as he can as fast as he can, too. I mean, his country's under siege. It's under attack. I perfectly understand that. Um, but we've got to make sure that we're helping him in the most effective way, and we believe we are. Uh, what's your response to that? Are we helping them in the most effective way? I, I, again, I'll be very frank. We could have done more earlier, and I signed on to a letter back in November urging uh, Mr. Biden to send more asymmetrical and military aid then. He did not. He dragged his feet inexplicably for six weeks. Now, having said that, would the war be over if the president had followed uh, ranking member Rogers and Enhoff and my request? No, probably not. But 
the Ukrainians would be in a much better position. I think that uh, the, the Kyiv assault would have ended sooner. I think they'd be in a much better position in Maripol and in eastern Ukraine. And they're uh, probably along the Black Sea coast as well. And you saw that with the Russians, their flagship being sunk, the cruiser. And, you know, we provide the Ukrainians with the harpoons and the stingers and the switchblade drones and the S-300 anti-aircraft and uh, anti-tank mines. And uh, the javelins have been, you know, have been used to great effect. Then there's going to be at best for Putin a stalemate and a stalemate is a loss. And um, then he's going to have to tuck tail and leave. And this is kind of starting to, it's early, right? It's only been two months, but this has kind of got the makings of Afghanistan 2.0 for the Russians. And we're speaking with Congressman Pat Fallon and Congressman Fallon, I am going to change topics with you and I want to discuss the border briefly. This might be another area in which we're seeing a shift in the White House's position. Title 42 has been discussed at great length recently by a Trump administration policy that required asylum seekers to wait for their asylum to be processed while they were outside the country on the other side of the border. The White House, the Biden White House, had said they were going to repeal Title 42. That has now received bipartisan opposition, in part because of the uh, the numbers uh, that we are seeing at the border. Now the Biden administration is signaling perhaps they will not repeal Title 42. What's your assessment of this situation? Well, Joseph, there were really two things that President Trump did that took a flood of illegal immigration and reduced it to a trickle. And one was the migrant protection protocols, what you are just mentioning, which was you will, if you have an asylum claim, you will wait in Mexico while that claim is adjudicated. And two, Title 42, which said, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic and a national emergency, so we're going to deny entry simply based on that because we have, you know, of course, COVID to deal with and contend with. Now, I found it ironic and very hypocritical that Joe Biden, the first 10 months of his administration, wouldn't allow anybody to come to the United States, a tourist that would come legally from anywhere in the world, even if they were vaccinated and tested negative upon arrival, because the pandemic was just too much of a threat. Yet he looked the other way when 2 million people illegally crossed the border and only about 55% of them were repatted back to Mexico. So they've been inconsistent. And what we saw was they wanted to get all, to you know, project weakness and wokeness by saying, you know what, we're gonna do away with Title 42. And even though we were seeing the greatest surge for a march in 20 years, 221,000 people crossed the border illegally and were apprehended and about 60, 70,000 known gotaways. So probably well over 300,000 people crossed illegally just last month. And he wanted to rescind Title 42, even though he knew that of the 221,000 that crossed illegally and were apprehended, 55% were sent back. If you want to just let everybody in, because that's a de facto open border. And that's what the left really looks like they want which is anybody in the world can just come to the, uh, the border, the southern border, and say, I have credible fear that I'll be harmed in my home country. Please let me in. And they're perfectly fine with doing that. But you've seen Democrats push back because it's an election year, and they know that they're going to get smashed up in, the, uh, the, in November in the election if this continues. So do you think the rumblings that the Biden administration is reconsidering their decision to repeal Title 42 has legs to it? Is there a possibility that they don't repeal it? That's always possible. And the only reason why they're doing it is a political decision. It's not a policy decision. Their policy is de facto open borders. And I really believe that their policy is to flood Texas with as many uh, illegal immigrants as possible from all over the world in the hopes that their, their descendants will vote for the Democratic Party. 
that will be, <clears throat> they won't have the skill set to succeed in a 21st century developed economy, and therefore they'll vote for more freebies from the government. It just, because nothing else makes sense. This is completely insane to put American interests last. We're already a debtor nation. There is already talk of, um, out of this White House that we're going to have food shortages. We are, we're going to have fuel shortages. And yet you're going to allow two, three, four million illegal immigrants to come into the country in, in a given year. This is madness. Congressman Fallon, one final issue, and we only have about a minute. The big decision this week out of the court in Florida that the travel mask mandate had been thrown out. The Biden administration now considering uh, an appeal of that. Where do you think this is going? You know what? They can do what they want. I was just I just flew Joseph yesterday and it wasn't like the press is reporting. Half the people are happy the, ma the mask mandate's gone and half aren't. Ninety percent of the people on both planes I was on did not have masks on. 90% of the people in the airport, and I walk by hundreds. So this isn't anecdotal. This is scientific at this point. M looking, 90% didn't have masks on. So they are completely out of touch with the American people. Here in Texas, hospitalizations due to COVID have gone down 96%. In the let's, let me say that again, 96% in the last three months. In a state of 30 million people, only uh, less than 800 people are hospitalized due to COVID. The pandemic is over. COVID is not, but the national emergency is. Well, I am planning to fly tomorrow, and I am looking forward to it. Congressman Fallon, we greatly appreciate your time very much. Thanks for being Thanks, with us. Thanks, Joseph. God bless. Coming up, we are going to continue our conversation about the mask mandate news. The White House said initially they were not going to appeal. Now they're saying maybe they will. We're going to talk about why that might be. Coming up next with Ken Cuccinelli. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. 
At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph, back home sitting in for Tony today. Well, after a day of mixed signals from the Biden administration, the Department of Justice announced last night that they intend to appeal the federal judge's ruling that revoked the federal mask requirement on airplanes and other public transportation. But only if the CDC says that extending the measure is necessary. At one point yesterday, President Biden seemed to indicate that choosing to wear a mask is now a personal decision. But later, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the administration was disappointed by the judge's ruling. Joining me now to discuss this is Ken Cuccinelli. He's the former Virginia Attorney General and acting Deputy Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security and is now leading the Election Transparency Initiative. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Yeah, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. What was your reaction initially to the Florida judges ruling on the mask mandates two days ago? <laughs> well, honestly, it was like those people on the plane. Woo! Um, but as a lawyer, it was it's dang about time. Unbelievable. Um, I mean, the dichotomy with this administration will let you in with no covid restrictions if you come in illegally. But if you're an American citizen, we're going to slap these restrictions on you. And, um, you know, we're seeing it's more evident in the arena where children reside, the, the negative effects of mask wearing. Um, but it has become very clear. And look, I was an original member of the coronavirus task force appointed to that by President Trump. Um, it's become very clear pretty quickly that the masks were not helping. And in fact, <clears throat> as I mentioned, for children had a lot of negative effects. So it was good to see this. The judge held them to the standard of, strangely enough, having a reason for what they were doing. Uh, judge Mizell is an outstanding young judge, and she's going to be great for many years to come. This is the first time I think her rulings have sort of gotten on everyone's radar, but I think you're going to see more of her in years to come, as I said. Well, this one certainly did get on everyone's radar. Now, there and there are legal arguments that were made. We discussed that yesterday on the show. Earlier in the last segment, we talked to Congressman Pat Fallon, who anecdotally said that on his plane, he thought 90% or so of the public was not wearing masks. And if that is representative of how the public feels about having this yeah. mandate uh, taken away by the court, no less, is there any sense in which this could actually be good for the Biden administration politically to have these mass mandates gone and have people no longer complaining about it? Oh, there's no question. I mean, people 
respond more to reality than to history. So if, you know, if, if, if you, if I've got high gas prices on election day, it hurts them a lot more than if they broke the record for high gas prices several months before. Um, Same mentality. Even if they weren't agreeable to, to having this mandate gone, it does help them politically in the sense of stopping the harm on this subject. Uh, as you noted, uh, people can still choose to wear a mask. God forbid we make our own decisions instead of uh, the nanny state do it for us. Uh, but that's where we are now, and that's where we should have been a long time ago. Well, despite that, the Biden administration is indicating they may appeal this decision yet. White House spokeswoman John, uh, Jen Psaki, excuse me, Jen, and excuse me, explained why. Let's play clip four, and then I'm going to get your reaction. And the Department of Justice, as you noted, has indicated uh, that they would appeal, uh, not just because they think it's entirely reasonable, uh, of course, to have this additional time to look at it, but because they think uh, that the current, uh, for current and future public health crises, uh, we want to preserve that that uh, authority for the CDC to have in the future. And Cuccinelli, what's your reaction to the idea that they want to appeal this just to make sure the authority remains in place for the future? Well, we want to make sure if we can, if we feel the need to do arbitrary and capricious things in the future that we can do it. So uh, that's, that's what you're hearing there. And um, I mean, that's the standard uh, by which a regulatory agency fails. That's how TSA lost. What they were doing had to be arbitrary. In other words, there was no reasonable basis for it, and uh, they couldn't present one. So they're, when you read between the lines with Jen Psaki, they're giving CDC some time to cook up an excuse for it. But I'm telling you, I was the deputy secretary at DHS. We had our level four bio lab, the highest level form of lab there is, by the way, the Wuhan lab is also a level four, um, analyzed called characterize the virus. And we know that these cotton masks will not stop the virus. I mean, we proved it in a lab. And, um, you know, and that's the U.S. government. And those are career people. That wasn't political folks heading into a level four bio lab to come up with some narrative like you're hearing from the White House press room from Jen Psaki. So is this the end of these mask mandates, in your opinion? Uh, well, not in the military, for instance. Um, you know, they, they cling to unique executive authority in the military. Um, it remains to be seen how they respond with the federal civilian workforce. Um, that's going to be uh, affected by this as well. Uh, and, and let's keep in mind, they're appealing to the 11th Circuit this is a, it's not the most conservative circuit, but it's pretty solid. It's not one that that uh, gets particularly liberal, particularly often. So it does depend on your three-judge draw, but, but the odds are this is going to be upheld. And frankly, uh, they're taking a risk on the very same point. Let's take Jen Psaki at her word. They want to preserve the future federal authority. And that's a pretty common desire is to preserve the authorities of your client, if you're the Department of Justice, in this case, CDC and TSA, uh, for the future. That's a reason to appeal. But if you lose the appeal, 
you've enshrined what was a district court judge at the circuit court level. And the only way to overturn that is to get the Supreme Court to take the case. And they are not very likely to take this case with only one circuit coming to a conclusion. Unless and until there's a circuit split, and we're two years into this situation, two and a half almost, um, without this issue being decided this way before, uh, I, it, I can foresee no circuit split before everyone, even the Biden administration, agrees that this crisis is over. Ken Cuccinelli, we hope it is, and we thank you for your time today. Thanks so much. Good to be with you, as always. Good to be with you. And coming up next, we're going to go to Florida. State legislature there taking steps that would take away a tax incentive district, a district incentive from Disney. We'll talk about why when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and it is my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today and with you. Now, there is breaking news today from Florida as the state Senate passed a bill to eliminate the special taxing district that allows the Disney Corporation to self-govern in its theme park area. I am announcing today that we are expanding the call of what they are going to be considering this week. And so, yes, they will be considering the congressional map, but they also will be considering termination of all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968. And that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District. 
This bill, which now requires a vote in the state house before heading to Governor Ron DeSantis for signature, continues the battle between Disney and the Florida legislature and governor, which began over Disney's criticism of the state's parental rights in education bill. Joining me now to discuss this is Florida State Representative Randy Fine. He's the author of HB 3C, the Independent Special Districts Bill. Representative Fine, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we are glad to have you. Um, this bill would eliminate a special taxing district that Disney has benefited from. Tell us a bit more about what this district does for Disney. Sure. Well, in the late 1960s, as Disney was getting started, Democrats in Florida decided to allow it to govern itself, uh, create its own roads, its own zoning, um, its own safety codes in order to help it get off the ground. Maybe that was a good idea in 1967. But but here we are today in 2022, and we have an issue where we have lots of theme parks in Florida that don't experience those same privileges that Disney have and don't benefit from these special privileges. Uh, Disney's a California company that's a guest in our state, and it's time that we take a look at whether they should have these special privileges. So specifically, if this district is eliminated, what impact would that have on Disney? Um, it would say that they don't get to self-govern. The area that makes up the Reedy Creek Improvement District would divert back to Osceola County and Orange County, the two counties that it came from. And then they would be subject to county and city regulation, just like every other company in the state of Florida. Now, there have been some uh, allegations, I should say, or arguments that if this district is eliminated, it would take about $2 billion of debt that Disney currently holds and transfer that to local jurisdictions. Is that true? No. First off, it wouldn't transfer a dollar of debt that Disney holds. It would transfer $1.1 billion of debt that this special government district holds to those local governments. But those local governments would also get the tax revenues that's used to sponsor and pay off the debt. So from the perspective of taxpayers, there would be no difference. This is just a scare tactic being being whipped up by the left to avoid doing this. But really, this isn't just about Disney. This is about all districts in our state that were created before our state constitution in 1968 and have never been updated. Now, are there any other companies in Florida that enjoy similar benefits to what Disney enjoys? Not a one. And that's part of the issue that we're looking at here. You know, when Disney was created, you know, they were the only game in town in 1971 when the Magic Kingdom opened. But today we have Universal Studios in Central Florida. Disney has four theme parks. Universal Studios has three. But they don't get to create their own Jurassic Park improvement district and govern themselves. They have to follow the laws of the city and the county where they exist. SeaWorld has to do the same. Busch Gardens has to do the same. Legoland has to do the same. No other company, theme park or otherwise, gets to self-govern. It's almost like Disney has seceded from the state, and then they get to run their own little empire. It is an unusual arrangement, to be sure, but we all know the history that has kind of led up to this moment, the recent history in Florida. You've talked about some of the, the older history, but more recently, there has been a bit of a conflict between Disney Corporation and the Florida legislature around this parental rights bill. And is there is there any sense in which, are you concerned, I should say, that the public would see this as retribution or bullying by the Florida legislature because a company said some things that the legislature didn't like? 
So now they're trying to exact revenge, politically speaking. Well, I think it's hard to say something's revenge when you're proposing to treat a company the same as every other company that's in that same business. But what I would say is I think the only bully here has been a California company that's in t- that's tried to bring California values to Florida. Look, in California, it might be okay to run up on stage and deck someone because you don't like what they have to say. In Florida, we're a little bit more civilized, and we don't want California values in our state. Frankly, we think America would be a little bit better served if we were more like Florida and a little bit less like California. Representative Fine, what's your reaction to the broader issue here, the parental rights bill that passed in Florida, the debate uh, between Disney and the state legislature, and really with the public? How has the public in Florida reacted to all of this? Very well. Look, these left-wing wackos hugely miscalculated. They took a bill that wasn't a big deal. They came up with a very catchy phrase, don't say gay, thinking no one would ever check to see if that's what the bill actually did. And this is hugely backfired on them because every demographic that is polled on our parental rights bill, including people who voted for Joe Biden, overwhelmingly support the idea that five-year-olds should not be groomed in school. This is not a controversial thing. And so these companies that have gotten whipped up in this wokest view of the world are getting crushed. And I don't know what the issue is. I don't know if they just thought it would be good for fundraising and politics to make people think we hate gay people um, or or whether they thought um, that they could uh, that, they, that they actually want to groom children. I don't know the answer to that. All I know is this has backfired in a big way. Representative Fine, we thank you so much for your time today, as well as your leadership on behalf of children in the state of Florida. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Coming up, we're going to continue this conversation in Florida, but we're going to talk specifically about how the public is reacting to Disney now with John Stenberger Stenberger from the Florida Policy Council. When we come back, stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To 
to access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back, friends, to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. For years, the Disney Corporation has been the home of imagination, magical stories, princesses, and magic wands. And they have avoided political issues beyond tax breaks and keeping Mickey and other intellectual property from the public domain. And we've seen that change recently, as we've been discussing today, most recently, and perhaps most notably, with their harsh and misleading public criticism of Florida's parental rights in education bill. Now, we've also seen a backlash emerge, both at the personal level, with families boycotting Disney World and canceling their Disney Plus subscriptions, and at the political level, such as the measure we discussed last segment with the potential revocation of a special tax district. Now, here with me to talk about the fallout that Disney has experienced is John Stemberger. He is the president of the Florida Family Policy Council. John, good to see you today. Joe, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, you have had a uh, front row seat to this debate between Disney and the Florida legislature, and in many ways, just the people of Florida. Is it fair to characterize Disney's recent political activism as unusual based on their history as a company? I would say it's unusual for any corporation in America. We've obviously seen companies like Starbucks and Macy's fund amicus briefs and sign on to things, but never have we seen a corporation uh, engage literally as a direct activist and align themselves with the LGBT movement as aggressively in terms of funding, in terms of threats, in terms of going from state to state uh, and interfering with policy decisions. And so this is on a whole nother level. Uh, Disney has become, in essence, enemy number one to parents with small children. Uh, and they're going to feel the pain as a result of that. This is not something that is not going to go without consequences. John, we've seen a lot from Disney recently, including uh, leaked videos of the conversations between their executives and their creatives. What do you think it is that had, has led to the change for Disney as a company when it comes to advocacy on legislation like this? Well, my understanding we can start with the top is that the chairman of their board is an open lesbian woman uh, and i would imagine that she's driving a lot of this changes the ceo is just an employee of the corporation he has to report to the board <clears throat> and then there's just tremendous pressure by the lgbt movement 
And, you know, it's just typical of corporations. They have very little backbone and very little ability to say no to something. They fear at all costs any any ability to anyone to criticize them. So they just cave. And so that's what Disney did. And it caved in a major there's also a considerable number of LGBT employees at Disney, certainly not the majority at all. And I think that a case can be made that the vast majority of Disney employees actually don't agree with this. And they have to basically bite their tongues in silence. There's already been websites. There's a congressional candidate out. There's lots of people underground in Disney that really don't like this at all. And the sad part about this, Joe, is that, you know, Disney used to be a neutral zone in our culture, right? Where you could leave your politics, leave whatever your beliefs you have, and you go and enjoy an amazing experience of entertainment. Uh, but that's not the case anymore. They've become fully politicized. They've become hardcore activists. And so, sadly, activists as enemies to parents with small children as they have sought to defeat the uh, parents' rights and education bill, which they, they had no effect on whatsoever. John, I think this case illustrates an important but unfortunate reality that neutral ground really is disappearing in America. And there's a lot of us who really would like to remain neutral on a lot of these things. We don't like conflict. We don't want to fight with everyone about everything. We, we don't want to think about every dollar we spend in terms of who it's supporting politically. Yeah. But increasingly, the neutral ground is disappearing. And so whether we like it or not, we do have to take sides. And, and that's something that the church, I think, is increasingly being called to. It's still uncomfortable for a lot of us. But this yeah. is just another illustration of the ways in which the neutral ground is disappearing because, you know, going to Disneyland, watching a princess movie didn't used to be a political action, but today it seems it is. Now, John, in the last segment, we talked to Randy Fine. A state legislature, a le the state legislator, excuse me, in Florida, and he's sponsoring legislation to remove a, a special taxing district that Disney has been benefited from. What's your uh, response to the way the state legislature has reacted to Disney, as well as Governor DeSantis? Well, look, Disney has directly opposed not just the governor, but the entire Republican legislature, um, and they seem to forget that they're actually governed by them with the special district. And so they're now uh, feeling the pinch from that because those special privileges are being removed. And we're having to ask ourselves, you know, why did we really give them to them? It may have made sense back in, you know, the late 60s, or early 60s when they were setting up here. But we have other uh, theme parks, SeaWorld Universal here in Orlando uh, that don't get those special privileges. And so I think that uh, it's only fair when you look at it across the board, play hard call, hardball with us in politics, uh, game on. John, there has been some indication that Disney may be regretting kind of the re response to this, to the politicization that has, that has accompanied their entire company as a result of their response. We know that a lot of people have publicly canceled their Disney Plus uh, subscriptions. I haven't seen any indication of what this is really doing to their stock price or their overall revenue as a company. But do you think there's any sense in which Disney may come to regret or may already be regretting the way that this the, their public statements have affected them as a company? I think they are. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because they've kind of vowed to be the leader of opposing any uh, thing that they interpret to be an, a, a, a laws that oppose the LGBT movement. I know that Randy Fine, who you just spoke with, Representative Fine, he's going to be filing a bill to prevent transgender surgeries and transgender treatment to minors next year. 
And so I'm sure that's something that, again, the LGBT movement's going to look to Disney and say, okay, be the leader here in opposing this. And it's going to be interesting to see whether they have the same fierce yeah. posture that they had or whether they're going to take a hands-off uh, situation. And, and Joe, back to the original point that I made, when you study civilizations and you study anthropology and sociology, you have to have common elements in order for there not to be just warring tribes. There has to be something to bring us together, God or religion, or the fact that the country is a good country, salute to the flag, all these things are now gone. Every time we destroy a neutral space, we're destroying a space where everybody can come together in a unified way. And it's a very yeah. sad thing. Boy Scouts have gone that way, the military has gone that way, and now Disney has gone that way as well. And we're losing these neutral zones, which enable us to come together as a people and just enjoy something that's not politicized. And it's a sad development, but, but Disney needs to feel the pain as a result of their bad actions here. I would argue that professional sports is another one of those neutral spaces that used to bring people together, but increasingly has been politicized as well. And so we are losing those places where people uh, can come together and not be aware of, of each other's political positions and just be united as Americans. But one final question I think I have for you, John, I want to I want to refer to the the videos, the, the conversations that we saw a little behind the curtain in the Disney creatives and how they were very upfront about the fact that they want LGBT themes. They want LGBT characters because they realize the power they have in media to define what's normal for young people and for families. What do you think is the right reaction for parents who are who are trying to raise kids in this moment? How should people be responding to the Disney company and the media they create? Well, you know, that's a great question, Joe. Everybody's got to make their own decision about consumer choices. But for me and my family, I remember one of our supporters said, John, is there a boycott going against Disney? I said, look, man, there's not a boycott. We're all in a war with Disney. I mean, they are literally telling us that they're going after our children, uh, the inside people and the artists and, and the creative departments are saying they wanna put subliminal stuff in. They, they kind of showed the ugliness of their face with those videos being released. Um, and I think this is something where we just need to take a stand and just say, you know what? Uh, there are other alternatives. Disney's not the end all. And it's just yeah. sad that an institution that produced some really beautiful entertainment early on has gone the way of bad politics uh, for, for families and for children. And something else that I hope comes out of this moment is that people jump into this space and people use the power of media and the power of story to create stories that compel us to be better than our than our worst impulses. And I hope that as we see the collapse of companies like Disney, people come in to fill that space because it's an important, important medium. And the church in many ways has neglected that. And I hope this inspires a lot of people to uh, jump into that moment. Uh, John Stenberger, thank you so much for your time and all you do for the families of Florida. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Joe. Well, one final story today. Our country awaits its high court announcement in the decision in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And this is a case that has the potential to end the blight of abortion and Roe versus Wade. 
which legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. Now, in the meantime, many states are scrambling to anticipate a post-Roe future. Some states are working to codify a, quote, right to abortion, while others have passed or are considering legislation to protect all unborn life in the event that Roe is overturned. My colleague, Connor Semmelsberger, our Director of Federal Affairs, pending life and human dignity issues, joins me now to provide an update on the highlight a few of the states are now getting on the life issue. Connor, good to see you today. Great to be on with you, Joseph. Now, I mentioned this divide. States are really moving in dramatically different directions on the life issues in anticipation of Roe being overturned. Tell us which states are going in the anti-life direction and how are they doing that? Yeah, so they're really having to step over themselves to go in that anti-life direction. As you mentioned, Roe v. Wade legalized abortion through all nine months in all 50 states. And it gave states the ability to uh, protect life around the 24-week viability standpoint, but, but no further. So, so that's already the default law in our, our, our land here in the U.S. But yeah, the states that are really just wanting to double down, California, Maryland, New York, others, but California in particular, you look at them and they're right now considering a bill. Uh, again, they already allow uh, abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, you know, with a simple health exception that effectively allows all abortions. But right now they are considering a bill uh, that would allow abortions through a perinatal period. What does that mean? Uh, the perinatal period, not defined in the bill, but in medical journals and others, includes life even up to seven days after birth. So this is the extremes we're talking about. It's not just uh, some uh, Democrats, you know, wanting to fund abortions or things like that. It's, it's that times 10. Anyone that wants to perform an abortion can perform one. We're going to use our state tax dollars to bring people out of state into our state to get abortions for free. And yes, like I mentioned, it's, it's scary, but California is considering legislation to allow women to legally kill their ch children even after they're born. Connor, that seems horrifying, and I want you to tell us a bit more about this. You, you talk about this perinatal period in which they want to legalize abortion, which, according to the statute, uh, would extend to is it seven days after birth. So are you saying that a, a mother could have a baby and then change her mind and a doctor would be allowed to kill it within seven days of birth? That's what it would appear. Again, the way they write these bills, it's usually the abortion movement working with the, the state legislators in places like California and New York. So you talk to state legislators in California, they don't even really know what's in this bill. They don't know how things are defined, but it's the Planned Parenthoods and the abortion activists that push these bills that just want to blur the lines. They want to create some world where no matter what a woman or an abortionist does, there can be no penalty to them whatsoever. So again, because things are so um, ill-defined, so the agenda is so um, really evil in a way, just like what I just explained, could be a reality. We don't know based on the way things are, but a court could, could very easily read this bill that's being considered if it became law. And yes, let either an abortionist or their mother off the hook if in case they did kill their infant even after it's born. Well, it is horrifying to hear that, but when we think about the logic of abortion and, and the personhood theory that, that supports it and this idea that what makes you a person is not being created in the image of God, but really what you're capable of doing. And, and, and a, 
baby one week after it is born is not significantly different than a baby one week before it is born. And it's actually hard, logically speaking, uh, to distinguish and, and to clarify why a week before you're born, you should be able to be killed, but a week after you're born, you shouldn't be able to. And that appears to be, and maybe in some ways, they're becoming consistent with their own logic in a terrible but important way that we all need to be aware of. But Connor, fortunately, not every state is moving in the wrong direction. I know that many states already have trigger laws, which would, in the event of Roe versus Wade being overturned, automatically ban abortion. Which states are moving in the right direction? Yeah, it's good to highlight the Californians to see what we're up against. But boy, the pro-life side really has momentum. Uh, We just heard so much about Florida. Despite all the Disney uh, news and drama down in Florida, their governor signed a 15-week protection into law. And that doesn't seem that strong relative to full protections in places like Wyoming, that prior to uh, a month ago, they allowed abortion through all nine months. They now have one of these trigger laws. But yeah, Florida is now at 15 weeks. They previously were at 24 weeks. So a major jump uh, in terms of where they're protecting life. But you're looking from the southeast in Florida to Wyoming to Oklahoma and Kentucky, really just passing substantive, strong pro-life laws that we think once Roe is overturned, we hope that that happens this year. Uh, these states can really, for the first time since 1973, truly protect, protect life in their state. Now, Connor, for those who are watching on NRB TV or on TonyPerkins.com, we're flashing images there of the pro-life maps that we have created. If people want to see more and get a better understanding of where their, their state is on these life issues, where can they get access to those maps? Yeah, very easily at frc.org slash pro-life maps, all one word, and you'll see our suite of pro-life maps. This is our latest one. What is a post-Roe world look like? Uh, giving you an exact snapshot of where your state is uh, in terms of where they might protect life, complete with categories, interactive statutes for you to check them out yourself. What's great about this, too, is you peel back the layers. In each state, you can see your state's abortion story. What what pro-life laws has your state passed since 73? What track have they been on? Pain-capable level, heartbeat levels, full protections. The whole story is all there for everyone to check out. I do have to cut you off. It's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it. That's the show, friends. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, fear God, nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.